The case of Muni Auction versus Thompson has been an interesting one for legal experts following infringement and validity cases. The original jury verdict at the district court level found infringement and awarded the plaintiffs a multi-million dollar settlement. That judgment, however, was vacated in a unanimous decision by a panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit. Joining us to discuss the issue is Bob Yakis, a partner at Finnegan. Bob has extensive experience in patent infringement litigation, and he also supervises other patent-related activities such as prosecution, legal opinions, and licensing. He writes frequently on patent-related topics and speaks before academic business and legal groups in the United States and Asia. Bob, first of all, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Why is this case so important? The case is particularly important, a little bit because of the infringement and a lot because I think of the invalidity. Between the invalidity decision and the infringement issue, a $38 million judgment was overturned. And I think the subtext behind the decision was increasing hostility towards business method patents. What is it about business method patents that's so controversial? Well, they're controversial mainly because they don't look like the kind of technology that one would normally patent. And indeed, the United States is one of the very few countries that recognizes patents for business methods. Just a tiny bit of history. There used to be a thought in the patent office that you could not get patents for methods of doing business. The Federal Circuit in the State Street case, about 10, 11 years ago, reversed that, said there's no such exception. You can't base a rejection on the fact that it's covering a business method. That opened the floodgates. The patent office has been flooded with hundreds of thousands of these applications, and they face two criticisms. One criticism is that this isn't really technology. It's a method of doing business, and patents are supposed to protect technology. And the second is that these patents too often protect essentially obvious variations of what people have been doing all along. So they shouldn't uh, merit the the power that patents give. Why did the Federal Circuit reverse the district court's decision? There were two separate issues there. One issue was the question of whether or not the claims were obvious. And what what had happened was that um, the Federal Circuit believed or, or determined that the jury was wrong and that indeed the court was wrong in, in not granting a judgment as a matter of law that the, the claims were obvious because it found first that the, the district court made an error in noting what the prior art was. So so what had gone before was a an auction system that had been in existence. The owner of the patent had successfully argued to the uh, patent office in order to get the patent allowed is that the system was lacked uh, a certain element, which was essentially calculating an interest automatically because uh, these were bids, and the bids were going to go over several years, so you had to, there was an interest calculation here that just had to be made, and, and uh, the patent did that automatically. On top of that, I used a web browser, whereas the prior patent was under the old technology, more popular in the 80s, where you actually had a dial-up connection. What the Federal Circuit found with regard to validity was that both the patent office and the district court had misunderstood the prior art, that if they had paid careful attention to the plaintiff's own expert, he would have told them that the prior art did, in fact, automatically calculate interest, so that the only difference between the claims and the prior art was the use of a web browser, and, and essentially what the court found is that as a matter of law, if that's your only difference, then your patent's obvious. The Federal Circuit has recently come down with a decision, BMC versus Payment Tech, and the importance of that decision was that if a claim is to a method as opposed to an apparatus, that there's only infringement if 
all of those deaths are either performed by one entity or at least under the control of one entity. Now, does this decision depart from prior federal court decisions, and if so, how? It's the next step, if you will, in both the infringement and validity. And the validity, it's the next step because there's been a steady stream of cases that have been slowly carving away at business method patents and the validity of them. It started really with the federal, with the, excuse me, the Supreme Court case in the KSR. And the KSR case decided that the uh, Federal Circuit had been wrong in, in how it determined obviousness, that the Federal Circuit used to use a requirement that there be some motivation in to combine references. And uh, the Supreme Court uh, said that was wrong, that that's certainly one way, but not the only way, but that the obviousness ought to take more into account just things like common sense. And so the Federal Circuit got the news, and uh, shortly thereafter, they decided a case called LeapFrog, and in LeapFrog, the issue was kind of a speak-and-spell type of system. It was all electronic, and the prior art in that case was mechanical. We had a system which, instead of having everything stored electronically, I think had some sort of phonograph. And the Federal Circuit essentially said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, converting something from mechanical to electrical is obvious, even though there was no teaching in the prior art which said uh, this would be a good idea. That's the way industry was moving. You're moving towards electronics. And so if the prior art had a mechanical thing and you're just making electrical, that's obvious. And this was in further on saying, and and, and uh, also if all you're doing is, is essentially putting something on the internet that wasn't on the internet, that's obvious too because putting things on the internet is the way everybody wants to do things. So you really can't get a patent anymore if that's all you do. The reason it's a little bit of a departure is because the analysis that the Federal Circuit went through to find that the only difference between the prior art and the claims here, that to find that that only difference was a browser, is a little bit strained. In other words, you can't really read the decision and understand exactly what was happening. The Federal Circuit seems to suggest that the plaintiff's expert admitted that was the only difference, but when you look at what the plaintiff's expert was saying, that's it's not so clear. And once they had that, then uh, the result was, was foreordained. And, and when you read that decision in light of several other ones, you detect a very real trend in the Federal Circuit, uh, or a very real hostility, if you will, towards business method patents. And, and so this is the next step. It's not different from what went before, but it takes it further. Now, does this case have an impact outside the business method patent area? I'm not sure that it does specifically because, again, the, the specific application here is putting something on the web that wasn't on the web, and if you look at it narrowly, that's really the realm of business method patents. What the impact seems to be is making it a lot easier to prove inventions are obvious because you no longer need to necessarily show that everything that is claimed was necessarily there was a motivation to to make the change. All you essentially have to do is say all the pieces were here and that's the way the arrow was pointing and eventually everybody would have gotten to this invention if they cared. And The fact that this person was first doesn't entitle him to a patent if he simply did what everybody was going to do eventually. Now it seems like there have been several recent high-profile business method cases having to do with online auctions. Do you think this is a coincidence? It's not so much a coincidence as the fact that there's a lot of money in auctions. <laughs> and So those are the cases that are being litigated. So they just happen to be the first targets, but uh, I don't think there's anything magic about auctions other than that they're very successful. The interesting thing about auctions is they are especially well-suited towards the Internet because if you look at what used to happen without the Internet, you had two problems uh, on these kinds of auctions. One is 
immediacy. In other words, how do you get everybody to show up at the same place at the same time? And so you didn't have as many auctions because it's just inconvenient. And the second thing about uh, online auctions uh, that makes them particularly useful for the Internet applications is that many times with auctions, they had a little bit of a timing problem. For example, if you had a telex connection or some sort of data connection that preexisted the Internet, people far away in California, if the auction were taking place in New York City, would have a time delay, both in getting the information in and responding. And so, therefore, you had to oftentimes account for that delay so that everybody had equal access. Well, the Internet's pretty much instantaneous, and you can't really measure the differences necessarily in response times between where you are. So the auction is kind of taking care of that. So the Internet has facilitated auctions uh, very well and expanded them. I think there are some applications of auctions that just couldn't take place without the Internet. Our guest has been Attorney Bob Yakis from Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. To listen to other podcasts in the series and for additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.